I, I have a uh, particular interest in commercials. I always have. Um, when I watch a commercial, I evaluate it for its effectiveness. I'd like it to be funny, but I always ask myself, is it selling me something? Do I even know what the product is when they get done? Or is it so funny, I just think it's a funny commercial? So in my next life, I'm going to be an evaluator and writer of commercials. I just like them. I like to think them through. Uh, some I don't like. I don't like the Chevy commercials where they brag on themselves. I think that's arrogant. And uh, I'm a Chevy guy, but I don't like them telling me how many awards they won. I just want my seatbelt re retractor to retract the seatbelt when it ought to retract it. That's all I really care, something in real life. But recently there has been a commercial out that just flat out lies, just flat out lies to us. And it's the commercial with a little white dog that can't make a friend in the dog world because he has bad breath. Now everyone, everyone knows, if you know dogs, the stinkier the better. You could chew on some pork ribs and not brush your teeth for five days, and that dog will be all over top of you. They love it. Because in a dog's world, clean breath is not where it's at. Now, in, in a human world, amen, it is. If you're single, you won't get a second date with bad breath. You just won't. People will leave you with bad breath. But a dog, man, a dog's cool with bad breath. In fact, the worse breath you have, the better he likes it. The longer you evaluate Christianity and understand the tenets of the gospel, you understand the, the kingdom of God and how it actually operates, the more you understand our mentality is not God's mentality. We don't understand a dog's world. They don't understand our world. In our mind, the gospel the further you go into it, the more you realize how wrong we've been thinking about the whole thing. Amen. We understand that the gospel is not advanced in our lives and the life of Christ isn't enhanced by our effort and by our good works. We begin to understand that he doesn't want anything from us other than the faith to believe in his work in us. That the gospel, the power of sin is broken is broken by the work of the cross. The more we see reality, we understand that our experience of that reality is not the ultimate test of everything. That there's more to Christ than we will ever experience. And that experience is not our rule. Truth is. Reality is. So when we get to chapter 4 of the book of Joshua, we're at a place where we understand deeper and deeper about the effect of the gospel. We have seen that the, ta that the Ark of the Covenant, that small golden box that they're carrying, is really a picture of Jesus Christ. We understand that the River Jordan and the crossing of it is a picture not of getting through the hardships of life. It is about the power of sin being broken in our life. That the river Jordan and its torrents and its spring flow is like the powerful flesh within every Christian. And that the crossing over is the understanding that God stops the waters and we pass over. And we go from ground that's a, a 
ground of defeat into resurrection ground. We understand that the life that's in us is born out of death. Our death. That the resurrection life is lived out of death. That we are dead indeed to sin, the power of sin, and we are alive unto God. On that side of the Jordan, it's all effort. On the other side, as we cross over, it's all the work of God. That's so different in our minds than the way we work as human beings. Everything must be rejected in our minds in order to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work is completely done. Chapter 4 of Joshua, as we enter into this particular chapter, it says, For all, when all the nation was finished passing over the Jordan. Now you remember the instructions were for the two million Jews marching in toward the Jordan to be some ten football fields back of the Ark of the Covenant. The priests were to put their feet on the brink of the water in, in the very place where the water begins. And at that point, carrying the Ark, the waters would be held back up at a city called Adam, far away, cut off. Within a matter of seconds, that river went down and it was held back from coming back this way because water does that. It can go either way. So the miracle was not only the blocking the water up at Adam, it was the keeping it back from down there. And all of a sudden, dry banks were there. The priest marched down, stood in the midst of the Jordan, on that dry bank, two million Jews passed over. Two million. Amazing. Amazing. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 2. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Oh, by the way, they waited till all the nation had passed over. Every bit of them. Nobody's left behind. In the church, we grow spiritually as a group, all of us together. There's something about the corporate body of Christ that gives growth to us as we learn together these truths, you see. There's nothing in the New Testament about single saints. There's nothing there. It's always we and us and the church. Paul said, until we all come to the fullness of faith. That works in a miraculous way. When you see growth in other Christians' lives and what they're learning and they share with you and you share with them, together as the body of Christ, we grow. All the nation, all the church. We cannot go it alone. You cannot. It's not biblical. Verse 12, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. 12, it's the number of the government of God. There were 12 patriarchs. There were 12 apostles. In the city that we are going to, there'll be 12 gates. Gates speak of a governmental authority. There are 12 men that are going to pick up 12 stones. Listen carefully. The government and kingdom of God has everything to do with the authority of the king. If you want to know what God's government looks like, it is a righteous monarchy. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's definitely not communism. It is a righteous monarch. That's what God set up when the people wanted a man to rule anyway. They gave 
He gave them Saul and David and Solomon. And Israel reached heights through righteous monarchies. When Jesus comes back, it will be a righteous monarchy on this earth for a thousand years. He will be king. And he won't, we won't vote him in every four years. He'll be king forever. Amen? Amen? Stable. Secure. A king with authority that will rule with authority. No injustices on the earth anymore. I'm looking forward to that time, aren't you? The mess we got all over the world and in this country, I'm looking for the righteous king. Are you ready? The righteous king wants to reign right now in governmental power and authority inside your life. I know he's bringing it. But do you know 2,000 years, Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you. Where he rules within you with authority and as your king, therein is the kingdom of God. If we claim the name of Christ and then live our lives like we want to live them with no submission to his rule and authority and what he says, then we are not involved in his kingdom because he's king. He's authority. He gets to say and rule and reign like he wants to. And we open our hearts to that kingdom. So there it is, 12, 12 men. Well, let's take a look and see what happens. Notice he commanded him saying, take 12 stones. From here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's foot stood firmly. I like the fact that it was stones. Stones are solid things, you know. Wood rots. Bury a stump in the ground and in a couple years you'll have a hole. Because it'll rot. But do you know stones don't rot? There was a huge stone big deal in the small creek where I grew up and I sat for hours watching the stream go by I went up there 50 years later and there it was same stone hadn't moved nobody moved it hadn't hardly wore down at all the government and power of God stands firm the gospel is a firm thing preachers who preach Christ can stand on that firm rock I really can. And so they were told to pick up stones and notice, bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Take those 12 stones, carry them with a multitude, and wherever you camp, it'll be Gilgal, lay them down. Take the power of the gospel and take it where you lodge. Take it home. You know home, it's where life makes up its mind. You know home, where you are yourself. Home, where you let your hair down. Take the power and authority and gospel out of the sanctuary and back home with you. Where you lodge, let it live. It'll have its most power where you live, not down here. Take it home. I like that. Take those stones and put them where you, where you lay your head. Where you lay your head. Don't divorce theological truth with actual practical living. If it doesn't have inroads in the way we live, where we live, how we live, it doesn't have power in our lives. Notice. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. 
And Joshua said to them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And he's just reiterating what the Lord told him to say. Take up each of you a stone, notice, upon his shoulder. Now, if you ever carried anything, if you carry it out front of you, they say draw the load in close. Lift with your knees, not your back. But it doesn't matter how close you pull that thing in, there's still a strain on your back, is there not? But if you put that thing up on your shoulder, we've all seen ladies in foreign lands putting huge baskets on their head. If you put that thing on your shoulder, there's no strain to your back at all. Are you listening very carefully? There is no human strain to Christianity. It is something to be put on shoulder and walked comfortably, not carried in an uncomfortable way. If your Christianity is difficult for you, then you're not understanding the truth of what it's all about. If it's easy and comfortable because God is doing the work in your life and not you, you're where you ought to be. But they took those stones, put them on their shoulders. They didn't carry them out in front of them. Also, they lifted it up on their shoulder for all to see. Notice it goes on in verse 5. Put it on your shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. This, This may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, notice how the question is framed. Take those 12 stones. They were to set them up. They weren't just laid on the ground. You'll see that in a minute. Set up like a monument. And in the future, when the kids come down to the shores of the Jordan, they'll ask you a question. What do these stones mean to you? Notice the question isn't, what do these stones mean? The question is, what do the stones mean to you? The power and influence of the gospel is not felt in your family by your kids by your mental assent to it. Neither is it felt by your attendance here today, as important as that is. Power and influence of Christ through you to your children is felt when they see what Jesus Christ means to you personally, in reality. Is this a game you're playing? Is this a game we are playing? Or does Christ, is he real to you and I? Does the gospel mean the world, is it precious to our souls? Does it mean more than what we have or what we attain or what we do or who we think we are? Is Christ so precious to you that you don't even recognize yourself anymore? Is he so precious in his his commands and his obedience to him and his kingdom coming, the paramount thought on your heart. Is it everything to you? If it's not everything to you, they know it. Let's see right through it. 
Kids intimidate me. I don't intimidate me. Youth intimidate me. Teenagers intimidate me. They can see right through you. Well, they can see. Notice a couple more verses. What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Then you shall tell them that the power of sin in your pop's life or your kiki's life or your mom's life, the power of sin in my life, I don't do what I used to do because the power of sin was broken through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you live the life that you live separate from the world? How can you live without sin in your life? How can you live that kind of life? Grandpa, granny, mom, dad, how do you... How is, that, how is that possible? Because Christ did it. You get to say it when they see it. Notice, then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Sin was cut off. I love that. No slow approach to conquering sin in your life. I see it as cut off. When I am tempted to sin, I look back and thought and think it has been cut off. When something's cut off, it's gone. You don't have to muster up strength to overcome temptation. It's cut off. It's done. There's no more power in your life. Notice cut off before notice it's cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It is cut off by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when he died, I died with him. I was buried with him like those rocks in the midst of the Jordan, buried in the, under those waters. My new life is on that side of the Jordan, on the resurrection side. Everything that I was is gone. Everything that I am now is in Christ. Now, there are some differences between the Red Sea and the Jordan River. There's several that I'm going to tell you next week, but I want to tell you one right now. In the Red Sea, when they passed over, that is a picture of the penalty of sin being washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And in that Red Sea floated the Pharaoh's army. There were bodies and chariots bobbing up like bobbers of a a fishing line all over the bodies, just dead all over the place. They could visually see their past life gone. But in the River Jordan, no one died. In the River Jordan, no bodies of the Canaanites floated. That would have been nice. Bring Jericho down and, and put him in the midst of the Jordan and then let it go back and let the Jer- those in Jericho die. But they didn't. Nothing floated in the Jordan. Simply the power of sin was broken, but the enemies remained in the land. Now, the Jews were to confront the enemies of the Canaanites with the understanding of the power of God breaking sin, breaking that Jordan, understanding He will fight that battle for me on resurrection ground. 
If you understand that sin has been broken and you pass over the Jordan, because I'm telling you, there's multitudes of Christians and maybe many or most of you right now are living in the wilderness. You've never crossed over that Jordan and living on resurrection ground only. If you were to pass over that Jordan, understanding your life is gone, Christ lives in you and step onto that resurrection ground, I want you to know the flesh within you will rear up livelier than it's been in years. You will be tempted with greater temptation. The flesh will be more powerful. You'll see it more. Those who are deeper and deeper in Christ see how more selfish they are. Do we not? We begin to see enemies we didn't even know were there. Satan kept them in the dark. The cross sheds light on them because God would have you victory over them. But that victory doesn't come in a day. But the knowledge of that Jordan being cut off is the beginning point of resurrection ground where the enemies of the land will someday continually be driven out. In fact, the Lord promises them in a few chapters, I will not drive them out in a day. This is why we're tempted as Christians still with the flesh. And Satan would come and lie to us and say, there was no power in the cross. You still want to do the same things you've always done before. There's no power being cut off because I still feel that urge. I feel that desire to do this, to judge, to condemn, to hate, to be jealous, to have greed, to have lust, whatever it is. Still there, more powerful than ever. This is where we begin to walk by faith. But we look back at the splitting of the Jordan as the day we crossed over, refusing ever again to try to live as a Christian, living on resurrection, trusting the life that's in us. Let's finish the verses. Notice, when it passed over the Jordan, the rivers of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Do you you get that? Forever. There's only one cross. It forever stands as the place God broke the power of sin in our lives. He didn't break it over time. He broke it at one point when he died. And we look back for that. We have new technology down here at the church, so I'm going to move the power slide simply by my hand. This is amazing. This is the place we've come with technology. I'm telling you, isn't it amazing? How do they do that? They, they, they hook up. Yeah, you can't do it out there. Don't try it out there. No, it's... Only I have the magic to do that, okay? They crossed over. They're going to end up at Gilgal. I love it. I feel so powerful. Number one. No, no, no. No, no. I must have moved this way. I thought I had the hand. All right. How do, you, how do you fire a volunteer? You can't do it. 
promised double his pay, just nothing works. We discover this truth as a community. You got it? We discover the truth of the gospel, and we begin to think differently according to God's timetable and God's way of thinking in Christianity together. We've gotten to the point on Wednesday nights when I try to trick the group with questions they see right through it. When I, begin, when I try to get them to give them the wrong answer, to teach them, no, that's not it. They won't give me the wrong answer anymore. They go right to the deal. Because we're learning together as a group. We're watching each other's lives. We're talking about it. We grow together. Nobody left behind. No Christian left behind. That's our program. The truth of the gospel is a rock that never changes. God has... God has no other way to break power of sin in your life other than the work of the cross that happened 2,000 years ago as an established reality fact. Do you understand that? Paul said, Paul said, reckon, the word is a mathematical term. Reckon, consider something as absolutely true. Reckon yourselves to be dead, cut off from not sins, sin. That's That's the flesh within you. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. Altogether. You know, math is the same all over the world. You know that. Two plus two is four in China, in Africa, in Europe, in Alaska. Two plus two is four. It doesn't matter what people group there is in all this world. The gospel works the same in all of our lives. And the gospel works as sure as the numbers work. I know they got the new math, but 2 plus 2 is still 4 and always will be. Okay, how you add it up. Never changes. The only hope we have of living a life that honors God is God himself living that life in us. We are to live out of that reality of the work of Christ. Does your heart ever condemn you? Does your heart ever condemn you? Does it tell you what a miserable Christian you are? Does it ever tell you what a failure? What are you doing listening to your heart? Your heart will always lie to you. It will never tell you the truth. First John says, if our hearts condemn us not, well, when will they stop condemning us? I used to think when I'm living a wonderful Christian life and I'm never slapping anybody and, and I'm good to my wife and, and I'm just the model of everything, then my heart won't condemn me. Then I'll have confidence toward God. But the problem is that's never happened. Well, maybe it's happened in my pride when I thought I was doing good. But when I thought I was doing good, I was so filled with pride, that's worse than the other sin. When will my heart stop condemning me? When I stop listening to it. 
and I listen to the truth of God, that I am in Christ, that he is the power of God in me, that the power of sin has been broken and I don't have to live like I used to live. Because something way down deep changed in me when he came in. And that never changes. And we are to live out of that reality, not the reality we think. We, we think according to clean breath. See? But like a dog's world is different. And they like the stinky breath. Therein is the gospel and God's world diametrically opposed and different than our mentality. And until we begin to think according to the gospel and think according to freedom from sin and understand in reality that Jordan was cut off and the cross through the Ark of the Covenant, through what he did, there is no more power of sin in our lives. So when sin comes knocking in, it absolutely will. And you feel that power, you look at it and go, I am cut off from them. I rely on the life of God to give me freedom and victory over it. That's not chemistry. That's not mumbo-jumbo. That's not, you know, just acrobatics. It's truth. And that's what we stand on, truth.